Thanks for listening to the Best of Coast to Coast podcast. Become a Coast Insider to hear the rest of this fascinating conversation. And check out recent shows where we learned about scientific efforts to revive the woolly mammoth, the latest in military drone technology, and the mysterious Shroud of Turin. And you can listen to those programs and many more amazing Coast shows by heading over to coasttocoastam.com and signing up for Coast Insider. Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. Evan, let's let's get your definition of consciousness because we hear it so much, but God, I just love to hear what you think it is. Well, I think the important thing to point out, and and we really uh, develop this idea in the book very strongly, um, is that uh, no human being has ever witnessed anything other than the inside of their own consciousness. Now, our brain and mind are extremely good at kind of convincing us that what we're experiencing is ourself and then the world out there. And so we have these kind of very clear ideas of self and non-self, uh, and all of it fits into a nice orderly pattern. Uh, but when you start really scratching and going <clears throat> below the surface, you realize uh, that it's uh, it, it gets a lot more interesting than that. And basically, I would answer your question by saying consciousness is the only thing any one of us has ever known is the inside of our own consciousness. And then we have to start to determine, well, what can we discern about that underlying reality? Uh, and we develop in our book uh, uh, a way for people to really see this very clearly, that what you're experiencing is an internal model. It's a construct that represents something that, that should be out there. Uh, but the interesting thing that we learn, especially uh, from quantum physics, is that the world is really not as it appears. And uh, even things like time and space and mass and energy, uh, you really have to get to a deeper level to understand what's really going on. Because in many ways, all of this world around us is just a stage setting on which this drama is to unfold. But the interesting thing to understand is that stage setting uh, is constructed within consciousness. And as soon as you start to say, but wait a minute, no, there's an external physical world that is objective that we can agree on that uh, you know truly exists, uh, quantum physics jumps right in with the most recent refined experiments and tells you, no, that's not true. There is not an objector of, uh, you know, an observer-independent reality. Every single bit of this uh, human perception of the world around us um, is very much observer-dependent. It's generated by mind. Even things like time that we think would be so kind of universal and part of that stage setting independent of us, but even time is something that is overlain within consciousness. So we really have to step back and uh, uh, take a very objective outside look at the nature of our existence within this reality to start to make more sense of it. And that's something that we develop very fully in living in a mindful universe. Karen, there is a huge argument that you must have the brain in order to have consciousness. I'm not sure that's true. What do you think? I think it's absolutely not true. In fact, when Eben and I first met, he, you know, I knew he had had a near-death experience. This was before Proof of Heaven was published. He didn't even have an agent at that point. And so, you know, for me, I had met other people who'd had near-death experiences, and I knew that they, uh, 
you know, learned very important spiritual lessons. And so I asked Eben, you know, what did you learn on your near-death experience? And he says to me very passionately, the brain does not create consciousness. And I looked at him kind of quizzically and said, well, why would anyone think that it does? And this is simply because I was not really familiar with the scientific uh, adage, really the foundation of materialist science, as I learned very quickly from Eben, is that the brain creates consciousness. And I thought that was ridiculous because of all of the teachings that I had been exposed to. And I knew that there was, that when you learn about things like neuroplasticity or, uh, you know, epigenetics or, you know, think, uh, the placebo effect, it's, it's very obvious, to a layperson anyway, that those kinds of things mean that mind does have power over matter and we can all learn this through our personal daily lives. We don't need scientists to tell us that it's true. But unfortunately, scientists, especially academic scientists, have a lot of hold over our kind of general Western societal beliefs. And so it can really hold us back when we think that science has the answers to everything, when it's abundantly clear, especially now that I know more about it, that they really don't know as much as many people think they do. Eben, as a neurosurgeon, had you not had the near-death experience, would you have believed that consciousness lived outside of the brain? Well, no. That was never uh, something that I was uh, at all tuned into, but my (coughs) coma journey showed me very clearly, because I think to stress, the, the big shocker to me about my whole journey was not so much my recovery, which was the shocker for my doctors. I mean, to this day, they have no idea how such a full and more than complete recovery could happen in that setting. And, and in meeting and knowing you, you would never think anything happened to you. Well, I, and that, of course, is a two-edged sword, because people go, well, he can't have been that sick. <laughs> uh, but my doctors and the medical records make it very clear. I mean, I absolutely should have died. Yeah. And even given that tiny little 2% chance of survival, there's no way I should have come back. So, you know, I've got that little mystery that has urged me along to get to deeper uh, understanding of this because I couldn't just accept that, you know, here's this extraordinary miracle involving my life, but I can just dismiss it and forget about it and go on. No, I can't do that. I mean, it really was shocking, but the biggest mystery, of course, was how could the progressive dismantling of my neocortex, which my doctors demonstrated to me very fully in my medical records and scans in the weeks and months after my coma, how could I have had any conscious experience or memory of it at all? As a neurosurgeon before my coma, if you had given me the medical details of my case, and then said, well, what would you expect for the uh, conscious awareness of such a patient, or what would they remember of that conscious awareness, I would have very confidently told you they would have experienced nothing more than a very primitive uh, kind of basic level uh, awareness of existence and would absolutely not be able to remember any of it. And I would have been completely wrong. And to the point now where it has now become your pilgrimage, to tell people how wrong you could have been. Well, you know, the thing is, I, what I've discovered, and this is what comes out in Living in a Mindful Universe, <clears throat> is that in so many ways, my own personal journey as a neurosurgeon who went through this extraordinary, inexplicable experience and has spent the nine years since then trying to make sense of it and come to a deeper understanding 
it parallels exactly what is going on if you look over, uh, you know, hundreds of years of our modern scientific understanding of the nature of the world. It's what our modern uh, scientific world is going through even now, trying to understand this extremely deep mystery of consciousness. If you Google the hard problem of consciousness, that phrase, you will find that probably the biggest mystery facing modern science, and I mean by far the biggest mystery, is the very nature of consciousness itself and the relationship between mind and brain. And in fact, this discussion, the mind-body discussion or mind-brain discussion, has been going on for more than 2,400 years. A hundred generations of human beings have mused over all of this, and yet the shocking thing is how little progress we've made. Modern neuros, you know, if you use the phrase neuroscience of consciousness, that is an oxymoron. There is no such thing. Neuroscience has not the remotest clue how to connect brain and mind, and this is why it's so crucial to get where this is going. And it, it goes very deep because, in fact, to get to any kind of meaningful answer about it all, you really have to dive deeply into the interpretation of quantum physics because that is the ultimate uh, kind of positioning of the question of the relationship between brain and mind is exactly what we encounter uh, in our uh, experiments in quantum physics trying to understand the nature of physical reality. Kieran, by tapping into this consciousness and using it, what can one do for one's personal life? What can it do for you? Well, there's all kinds of things it can do, and I, I, when I say that, I, I sometimes worry I sound like some kind of snake oil salesman that it can do everything under the sun, but it really is just limited only by your imagination. When, when you realize that the mind is as you know, creating, unfolding reality, it truly is, it's not just in our imaginations, then it really behooves us to kind of learn how to manage that mind, and many of us have kind of uh, unbidden thoughts going on and beliefs that, that interfere with maybe what we really want, these underlying things. And so finding out what those are can be very useful because they're very limiting into what we can really create. So once we kind of clear the decks on all of that, it's really just up to your imagination. So some people use it to communicate with the souls of departed loved ones. They want to reconnect with those relationships. Some people want to achieve wellness if they have some sort of health issue and they want to get rid of that. Um, some people, like myself, we just want to become more of who we really are, figure out what is our purpose and why are we here. And yet others just want to be able to get into a focused state so that they can solve problems. Um, people like Thomas Edison and Albert Einstein, they used to get into um, what was called the what is called the hypnagogic state so that they could access creative inspirations for their inventions and scientific ideas. And so really just learning how to settle the mind and kind of get behind those rambling thoughts and uh, constant chatter really can help you to tap into creative energy, spiritual guidance, improving health, intuition, improving relationships, figuring out why you have certain hardships in your life. There's just so many things going on in there, and when you realize it's creating unfolding reality on a big picture and a small picture, I don't see why anyone would not want to explore 
explore how to manage their own consciousness from within. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.